Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. The Book of Psalms. The Book of Psalms is where we're going to be landing for the next number of weeks. And this particular uh, aspect of the message I'll just frame one more thing. And last week we did the uh, history of the Psalms. And I took you actually from the book of Genesis right through uh, the history of Israel, right up to the Psalms, and tried to show you what happened with the tabernacle of Moses, tabernacle of David, and temple of Solomon, and where the Psalms actually fit. David, the writer of the Psalms, and the history piece that he plays. And just kind of give you a backdrop so when you read the Psalms, you realize they're written around a tabernacle. The tabernacle was called David's Tabernacle. It was a worship 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 40 years that the king used as his place to draw from the presence of God and the Holy Spirit that would speak to him, taking his prayers to the musicians to sing those prayers, taking his burdens to that place so they could minister to him with the worship, listening to all the different choirs and the singers and uh, different instruments the Psalms were played on, and you'll see that in the inscriptions of the Psalms. And so the Psalms embody history. They embody the heart of a person, and the person that it embodies more than anybody else is King David, because David really, if you think about the Psalms, most people might not even know anybody else wrote any Psalms but David, but he wrote almost half of them, 73 of the Psalms. But the other writers of the Psalms were also under David. So you have Jaduthan and Heman and uh, different uh, singers, and, and it's in the inscriptions. Those also were workers that were in David's time period uh, that were in cahoots with him with the writing of those Psalms. And so David has a great influence on this book. And so the book embodies an attitude. And the attitude is this. The Psalms have a desire for God. The desire for God dominates in the Psalms, encouraging us to think and feel God through the words of people, through David one psalm by Moses, one by Solomon, but most by this man, David, to fill God through the words of people who desired God, created in us a deep craving to encourage and enjoy God. And so what I'm trying to do is scoop up out of the Psalms that one scarlet thread that runs through them, the desire for God, because I, I want to do not only the Bible exegesis, exposition, or verses, and going through Bible words themselves, but also uh, to get you to read the Psalms. By the way, how many of you have started reading the Psalms? And I've heard from so many people, how many of you already are enjoying reading the Psalms and, and your devotion life is just a little sweeter, maybe a little better as we're all reading together. If you haven't started, just pick up a Bible and start reading the Psalms. I want you to absorb the psalm, especially in the season that we're in, especially under the canopy of pressure that rests upon us. To come into the Psalms is to come into the most holy place, into the tabernacle of David yourself. It's to come into a place where you actually begin to absorb the spirit of the Psalms. And the spirit of the Psalms is hope in God, love God. God can work for you. God is in the midst of the valley on top of the mountain. God can move in the storm. God cares for you. God created you. God's hand is on your life. God is going to do something awesome with you and through you. And, and don't give up hope. And even if things go wrong and you're discouraged and your soul starts crying out, you got to hope in God. And so the Psalms kind of embody the journey of a soul. 
And that journey of the soul is real, where there are mountain peaks and valleys and there are disloyal people and, and covenant friends and there's discouragement and there's confusion and there's, there's hurt and there's failure and there's, there's intensity about life that comes into the Psalms. And so we all live that. And so when you read the Psalms, that intensity should get into your spirit. The purpose of the series is to encourage a fresh hunger and thirst for God, igniting your passion to center your life in God, and the reading and meditating on the Psalms. I'm going to look at seven Psalms. By faith, I'm going to look at seven Psalms. This is the third weekend. Uh, Psalm 63, 146, 51, 139, 37, 91 are the Psalms. Now, I want to go just to the man David. If you're taking notes and you're doing some kind of journal on this series, uh, I'm going to give you just a, a few minutes on the man David. I gave you the history of the Psalms that involves some of David's life. But now I want to talk just about the man, David, the guy who wrote these psalms, the man himself. Why is it so important? Most people who write poetry, songs, books too, what they learn in suffering, they write in song. Why people listen to people who write songs from their broken life? Because you can identify with the words of the song. You can identify with the spirit of the song. Why I think country western music is still so big is because it tells about all the hurts and the problems, the broken jaws, the dead dog, and the broken mare. I mean, it's all about lives and problems and, and, and people singing about the broken heart and everything. And people just listen and they just love to sing that. Because they have a broken heart or they have a dead dog or something has happened to their life. And, and they're singing these songs and, and they're identifying with that. And so it is with most people that write or do art. It is an identification of some kind of an experience that you have. And so David is one of these guys who out of his suffering, he identifies his life. And he begins to put it into words that you can understand. The the many colored threads that wove his life together become the garment called the psalm. The many colored threads of his life are woven together in the psalms. As he was a harp player and he played different chords, the psalms are like the chords of his harp. He lived through this experience called life and could put it into music and all the different pieces would come out. There's nobody in the Bible that you can read about that has more life experiences, ups and downs and weird happenings that is recorded and written about than David. And so the Psalms represent that soul. If you have a Bible, you can mark it this morning. First Samuel, go to first Samuel. And let's pick up the beginning of David's life. Number one, David the shepherd. I'm going to give you just a few of these. David the shepherd. The early shepherd life of David influences his character and influences the Psalms. Obviously, the most famous is Psalms 23. But there's many Psalms and pieces of Psalms that refer to David's shepherd life. Now, remember, as a shepherd, David is in isolation. David's solitude. David is in a meditative lifestyle. David is in a place where he can actually give himself to thinking about the stars and the sky and the, 
and the sheep and life itself and, and write different things and talk about how the shepherd protects you because his, his shepherd life was only a phase that would be something he would only remember ever existed because once he leaves it, he will never have it again. He will never, ever experience this life again. He had no idea. But once he left that door, everything changed. But in this particular phase of his life, David is the shepherd in First Samuel chapter 16 is where he is found. It doesn't, doesn't give us any more history of David, although a few pieces here and there. The Bible picks up in First Samuel 16, picks up David at this particular point. So David the shepherd is out with the sheep and David the shepherd is going to be chosen. I want you to find in First Samuel 16 verse 1 where it says to Samuel the prophet, Go, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. He's talking about Jesse's house. Verse 2, Samuel said, I don't, I'm afraid to go because of Saul here. I'm a dead man. And God says, this is how you do it. Verse 3, invite Jesse to the sacrifice because I'm going to anoint one of the sons. But he doesn't tell him which son. Then in verse 6, it was when they came that they stood before him. Verse 6, and he looked at Eliab. If you write in your Bible... Uh, underline Eliab. Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. That's what the prophets saw. He said, man, this guy is fantastic. He looks like a king. He's built like a king. This is the guy. But the Lord said to Samuel, one of the most famous verses in the Bible is right here, verse 7. Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For a man looks at the outward appearance But the Lord looks at the heart, which means David had the kind of heart that God loved. So he looked at Eliab and said, you're not the man. Abinadab, verse 8, you're not the man. Shammah, verse 9, you're not the man. Verse 10, seven of the sons passed before Samuel and every one of them was no, 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 no. The Lord has not chosen these. And then Samuel in verse 11 said, is this all you have? He says, no, I I do have another kid. I didn't even think about bringing him in. He's just out in the backside of the desert watching a few sheep. And he's the youngest of all. And surely you would choose one of these older brothers, but you're not going to, so I guess. And he said, bring him here and we will not sit down until he comes. So you know the other brothers, seven of them, David being number eight, all standing there waiting for David to come. The atmosphere was not exactly the best, even in that room. Them all thinking, well, why is he sending for David? Why do we have to stand here? The prophet standing there patiently with his horn of oil. They have to go out to the field, however far it was. It probably wasn't all too close. Find wherever he was with the sheep. Bring him back. It probably was for sure a 30-minute, hour, hour and a half stand. It had to take some time to go find the kid. And finally they find him and they bring him back. Verse 12. So he sent and brought him in. Then it describes him for the first time in the Bible. He was ruddy, fair-skinned, freckle face, bright eyes, good-looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint, for this is the one. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And would we say the midst of the unbelieving brothers? Famous verse, verse 13, famous. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Now look at verse 14, what's happening at the same time. And the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Saul is the king. 
just a rock's throw over in their same territory. And a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him as the spirit of the Lord was coming on a little boy that nobody knew, probably 17 years of age, somewhere in there, 18 at the most. Spirit of the Lord is coming on David in a place that is secluded. Nobody, it's not a big service. It's not public. It's, it's in the silence of the hills. It's in the midst of unbelieving brothers. There's no one else there, just a few people. And here's the prophet setting the destiny for this man and the entire nation is being set in silence as he pours oil. In those days, it wasn't just a little dab like a cross on the forehead. It was a horn. It would drip down from the top of his head, go down to his shoulders, run down his garments all the way to his feet. It would drench him as they would want. The Spirit of the Lord was represented in the oil. They wanted the oil to cover every part of their life. And so from the head down, they wanted the oil to be the covering over them. And so it was prophetic what was happening. As David was standing there being drenched as a young man with a heart for God, but no ambition, with a heart for song and worship and prayer, but no idea where it's going to lead him. He's there being chosen by God. The oil is going down all over him. And right over here, another piece of history is taking place. David doesn't know anything about it. The family doesn't know anything about it. The nation doesn't know anything about it. But over here is a king, and this king had such an evil heart. Saul's heart went sideways. And that heart was so bad that when the evil spirit came upon him. What it says, the spirit from the pit, the distressing spirit, later on it says it's an evil spirit, began to come on him. He would turn into another man. He would turn into an angry man. He would turn into an insane man. And all the people in the court knew it. And so over here, a troubling spirit, a distressing spirit on a heart that had no love for God. And over here in this little humble man, humble boy, God says, I'm pouring my oil upon you. I'm imparting destiny to you right now. No one needs to know. No one understands. From that day forward, the Spirit of the Lord, and I believe as the oil went over David, the Spirit of the Lord came on him. So that he would write Psalms 23 about the oil, Psalms 92, Psalms 133. He would begin to write about this thing called the oil of the Holy Spirit, the oil of God, the fresh horn of oil, because he knew what it felt like when the oil came, something he had never maybe felt before until that moment, the Spirit of the Lord started coming on him. Like an anointing, like when someone lays hands and you feel it, or when you're in prayer and the anointing drops on you, the anointing dropped on David. He says, man, this is different. And it's out of this experience that David begins to pen some of his most famous psalms. Number two, the anointing, which I'm referring to in the same story. The Samuel anointing, destiny is imparted. The Spirit of the Lord. Number three, David becomes the king's servant. Look in the same chapter at verse 16. Look at verse 16. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with the hand, with his hand, when the distressing spirit, interesting, from God is upon you. Even they recognize that there was something going on in this man's life. You shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Verse 18, one of the servants answered said, now listen to the description of David. First time in the Bible. But listen to how they saw him as a young man. 
I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is skillful in playing, who is a mighty man of valor, who is a man of war but never fought in a war, who is prudent in speech, who is a handsome person, and who the Lord is with. And Saul said, can can you go get this guy? They said, we will. David's first entrance into the king's court was as a musician. And if you can even imagine what that must have felt like as a young man to be taken from the sheep, taken from your father's little house, taken from all the solitude into Washington, D.C., into the hustle and bustle of the palace and the servants and the food and the people and the, and the money and the gold and the silver and, and everything going on and, and that they bypass everything in the palace and they bring you to actually sit right next to this president of the nation, this king of the world, so to speak. And here is David, this little boy who has left all of this and now suddenly, everyone say suddenly, Because David's life is built around suddenlies. Suddenly, he's there. And can you even imagine what it felt like when a demonic spirit came on Saul for you as a person to watch it happen and his face starts contorting and he turns into another man and the servants say, now, now, David, this, this is what happens. Okay, are you ready? You've got to start playing right now because if you don't, I mean, it really gets ugly after this. So come on, hurry, can you start playing? And there's David thinking, I, I didn't buy into this. What's going on with the king? And so the David starts strumming and maybe Saul's looking at him and maybe he's standing up later on. It, it says that Saul took a javelin and tried to kill David with the javelin when that spirit came on him. And so David starts playing his harp and immediately... Saul just sat back down. The servant says, play more, keep playing. David would start playing his songs that he learned there. And as he ministered his pure-hearted spirit for God and the spirit of the Lord on him, the evil spirit just fled. And I'm sure the whole court looked at this young man and said, who is this? Who, Who is this guy? Where, where did you get this? How, how did you learn this? Why, why do you have this kind of power? David says, I, I don't know. I just love God and worship the Lord. And I guess this is what happens. David didn't know what would happen. When you follow his life, you will see David in the king's court now as a servant. Then David becomes the fugitive because... Saul becomes so jealous of David. It's during this time period that David was going back and forth from the palace to his dad's house, is what it says in the Bible. And it was one of those trips that he went to his dad's house, and his dad said, go to see your brothers. They're up in the, with the armies, and they're fighting the Philistines. And that's where David goes and takes them the bread and the raisin, and he sees Goliath. And then you go through the whole story about who is this man blaspheming God and God's armies. And, and David, you know, they got mad and said, who are you, David? Go back to your few sheep. I mean, what David says, nobody should get away with that. The heart, the heart of the man was so much bigger than anyone else's heart. The heart of the man had no fear for this. He says, I will kill that guy. I will take him out for you. Forty days, nobody else would. All the great warriors, all of them in Israel, Joab's, Abner, nobody 
would go out before this man. And David says, I'll do it. So then he goes and tries on Saul's armor. He drags it around. He says, this ain't going to work. So he takes off the armor, drops it, goes to face Goliath, and he takes his one weapon he's good with, a slingshot. Where are you going, David? I'm going to go kill a giant. Can you imagine everyone just watch? So he goes and picks up five stones. Why five stones? Why did David pick up five stones? Lisa, why did David pick up five stones? Huh? He had, five he had four brothers. And made, he was the fifth. Yeah, right. Lisa's an intelligent species. Goliath had four other brothers that were also there. Probably giants too. And so when David went to face Goliath, he's looking at the whole landscape and he stopped by the stream and it says he, look, and he picks up one, Goliath, brother number one, brother number two, brother number three. He says, if the brothers mess with me, I'll take all five of them out. This is the kind of guy you want to hang out with. He has heart, no fear. And he goes and whoop. Goliath, surprise, falls down. David cuts his head off. And do you know what it says in the Bible? He took the head and carried it all the way back to the palace and gave it to the king. How would you like to carry a head around? This guy had heart. David, the fugitive. Saul became jealous. David fled. David, the king. Finally, when Saul and Jonathan are dead, David takes the throne and then David's moral failure, about 20 years into his rule, the Bathsheba thing out of that Psalm 51, Psalm 32. And then David, the troubled leader. And then finally, David finds a grace for ended. When David made his moral failure, a prophet came to see him. And I'll wrap up right here. The prophet, he had two prophets in his life. Samuel was the first one to anoint him. Nathan was the one to come and tell him this story. And he, he comes into the throne room and he says, David, there's a problem in your kingdom. David says, tell me, Nathan, what is it? So there's a rich guy with hundreds and hundreds of sheep. And he went down and stole a lamb from a guy who only had one lamb. One. What do we do to the guy? David got off the throne and said, take his head off. That man will be a judge. And the prophet said, David, you're the man. You had hundreds of concubines and wives. And you went and took Uriah's one wife for yourself. And the Lord is not pleased with you. And David fell on, back on his throne and said, I have sinned. I've been waiting for it to be revealed. I knew it would happen. I have sinned. Nathan says, yes, you have sinned, but you're not going to die. But this is what's going to happen. As you took Uriah's wife in secret, God is going to display all of your wives and concubines on a hill in front of Israel, and they're all going to be raped. What? How would that ever even happen? It happened with his own son, Absalom, in front of all of Israel. Second, the sword that you used to kill Uriah was the sword of the Ammonites. But it was your sword. Your hand was on that sword, even though you used them. And that sword will never depart from your house. You will have trouble in your house the rest of your life. Your own family will rise up and kill one another, which they did. David's heart sinking. Consequence. And then the blow. 
says, and the child that Bathsheba has born will not live. David says, please, don't, don't take it out on the kid. David says, I'm going to tell you what God has told me. The child will not live. David went up to the tabernacle, laid on the dirt for seven days, seven nights, begging God, please do not take the child. Do not take this child. Seventh day, the child died. David finally went back to his place, washed himself, anointed himself, went back and worshiped the Lord, asked forgiveness. That's what makes this man so great, even in his tragedy and his horrible mistakes. And then his wife, it says in the same verse where he went and got it right with God, he went and uh, saw Bathsheba and tried to encourage her because she lost her child. And it says that she conceived and bore another child and they called his name Solomon. And it says, and God loved Solomon. Why? Because God is so gracious, so wonderful, so awesome. God says, I'll put my hand on your son. Just think how they came together, why they shouldn't be together. And God lets that be the past and makes their son a king, gracious God. And so David, out of that graciousness, writes in Psalm 51 about what brokenness will do and how consequence will come and what it feels like to be cast away from God's presence, what it feels like to be broken in spirit, what it feels like to have no joy, what it feels like for your bones to dry up and you can't sleep at night and your dreams are horrible, all in Psalm 32 also. David is a man that experienced the depths that he could write about so that we could sing Psalm 51 and the heights of grace for a new life. How many of you would say, you know what? I would like God to turn my bad into good. How many of you would say, I would like my future to have grace on it? A lot of grace. How many would say, I would also like the anointing and the Spirit of the Lord to come upon me? Would you just take your hands... And even if you don't know what it means, just by faith to it, just put them right on your life. As if God's hands was in your hands. As if God was saying to you, my hands on your life. I found you in the silence. I found you in the solitude. I found you in the hidden place. I found you when you were minding your own business, but I chose you. My hands on your life. And I brought you to this place to widen the blessing and deepen the blessing and the favor. I know about the failures. I know about what happened in the past. But I'm the God who can put my spirit upon your life. And I can turn something out of this into something good. Father, right now I pray there would just come an anointing of the Holy Spirit upon every life. Lord, right now I pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to fall upon those who need healing of heart and emotion. For those who need healing in their mind and life. For those who need a fresh oil to rise up and follow hard after their destiny. For those who need to rise up and see the future with new eyes. Lord, we believe that you're the God that we love. And we stand before you this morning with arms high lifted up. 